0: Well, everyone loves a great story. Everyone loves a great storyteller. Who's the storyteller in your family? Maybe it's your grandfather or grandmother or mom or dad or kids. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're the storyteller in the family. When our kids were a lot younger and they, we would tell them stories, we would tell them our own stories, they would sit and listen a lot better than they do now. We'd said and listen to those stories. And our oldest, you know, when kids are little, they just want to hear everything on repeat, right? Everything is repetition. And so they would watch and listen to the Bernstein Bears and our stories and different kinds of stories. And then the second child came along and uh, she was learning those same stories that her firstborn was learning for the first time. And it was interesting in that time because the older would still come when he would hear that story that he'd heard 50, 100 times. He would still listen in. Not only would he listen in, he would come to hear the story again and again and again like he had heard, was hearing it for the first time, and he would do something interesting. He would look at his sister waiting for her response from the first time she heard the story. Stories. Stories connect to our lives because we are living a story. You can't describe yourself without telling your story, however interesting you think your story is, or not. Stories connect us with other human beings, their experiences. That's why we read biographies. That's why when there's a movie playing in our house and it seems real, what's the question that gets asked around the table? Is this a true story? See, stories not only connect us to others in our own lives, they teach oftentimes and illustrate truths in living color, whereas mere data points tend to be dull and black. Did you know that Jesus told stories? He told what he called parables. A third of Jesus' teaching in the New Testament are parables. Parables are real life stories or object lessons that your audience connect with that's packed with real life truth. And so, if you don't like illustrations or object lessons from your pastor, I'm just going to stick with Jesus. Jesus told real-to-life stories that packed deep spiritual meaning. And a third of what he said, you know what people said about Jesus' teaching? People observed his teaching and compared it to the scribes and the Pharisees and says, this guy teaches different. There's something about his teaching that is better. It comes from a place of authority and substance and clarity. This is part of what Jesus did. See, parables were more than just allegorical stories. Perhaps you know allegorical stories where every little detail may or may not have some significant points to them. And his parables were, were more than fables too, because fables or kind of otherworldly sometimes, no, parables are real to life. The audience of Jesus would understand clearly the story or the object lesson that Jesus was teaching in the first century. What they weren't maybe ready for, and maybe we're not ready for, as we begin a study in the parables this summer, is one guy said it this way, Parables were, sounded really sweet, but it was kind of like Jesus was taking a grenade when he sat by the beach and told parables, and then he pulled the pin, and the truth hit people really, really hard, because it was so poignant and so decisive. The word parable is really two Greek words. Para means to come alongside. Ballo, the second part of parable, means to. To throw or to cast. So here's what Jesus, the master teacher, the teacher with authority, is doing with parables. He's teaching truths that come along your life, alongside your life, to make a truth point, a spiritual point deep into your heart. That's what parables are truths thrown alongside of life. And maybe you ask, you know, when I or say, when I read the Gospels, oftentimes what Jesus is doing is that he's concealing things. He talks in a physical way about spiritual realities, and people, even his own disciples, don't get it. And so why would Jesus talk in parables? Well, I've already said that they are an effective way to communicate truth. But it's interesting because the text we're in this morning, the first parable of Jesus, is going, the disciples are asking the same question. Why don't you just speak clearly? like husbands and wives, just tell me clearly, right? Just tell me clearly the truth. And Jesus' answer might surprise you. Why would he speak in parables? Not only do parables reveal truth to those who are already, catch this, to those who are already hearing and listening and receiving and understanding So they give more revelation and more truth about the kingdom of God and about Jesus and who he is, but they also do something else. Parables also conceal. They conceal from people who have refused to hear, who are choosing to reject the message and the words of Jesus. And this is what we see when we come to the book of Matthew chapter 13. Turn there with me. Matthew 13, this is the first of Jesus' parables, truths thrown alongside, which is literally what the first parable, full parable of Jesus does, the parable of the sower who goes out to throw seeds along the path. And really, it's not about the sower or even the seed. It's about the soils. How, and here's the key question today. How does the truth of God from his word, the gospel of Jesus, how does it land on the soil of your heart? That's the point of our first parable. Let's test the soils this morning of our hearts. How do we receive the seed of God's truth? How do we, what kind of soil does it land on in our hearts? These are some decisive truths today, four types of of soil, and how God's word lands on our heart. Maybe that's the question you should ask yourself this morning. Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9, we'll read that. And then we'll read 18 through 23, because the first parable Jesus gives, he explains to the crowds around him, and then he explains what it means to his disciples. So we get the cliff notes today. The weeks we move forward, we may not get the cliff notes of Jesus, but he explains what he means by this first parable. Matthew 13, let me read it. 1 through 23. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him, so that he got in a boat and sat down. So he's teaching, sitting down in a boat by the beach. Sounds like a great place in the summer to teach. And he told them many things in parables, these real-life truths, real-to-life truths that teach spiritual lessons, poignant spiritual lessons. A sower went out to sow, and he sowed. Some seeds fell along the path. That's the first soil. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no Root, they withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, there it is, let him hear. And then the disciples ask, Why parables? Then the disciples said, Why do you speak in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given, the crowds, the Pharisees, the scribes. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he who has an abundance, but from the one who has not, who doesn't hear, who doesn't understand, who doesn't receive, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing do they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled in saying this. You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For the people's hearts had grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart. And turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, disciples. For they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And here's the explanation. Jesus does almost a solid and explains what he means by the parable of the soils. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. That's the first soil. And for what was sown on the rocky ground, second type of soil, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown on the third type of soil, the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but... The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. As for what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, meaning believes it, trusts it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold. In another, sixty. In another, thirty. Four types of soils. Do you catch this? There's a sower who sows seed. The seed is the word of God, specifically the gospel message. And he sows it, he throws it out on the soil. The soil is a person's heart. How does a person receive the word of God? How does a person, what does a person do with the gospel message that Jesus has in this case? The first type of soil, do you see it there? It's the soil that is tossed out on the path you got to understand some background to understand the setting. It would have been clear as day to the people in Israel who were the crowd who was listening at the beach to Jesus' message. They probably could have looked back and even seen a field. They were familiar as an agrarian society with the idea of a sower. A sower was someone who would take a bag of seeds. Don't think of your speedy green in your lawn, okay, to throw out fertilizer. Y'all are rough today. All right? Don't think that. All right? This is a person, this is a guy with a bag of seed. And he would reach in the bag and take the seed. And there were two methods of, of, of throwing out seed. One was just broadcast throw it out before the field was even plowed. And you would throw out seeds everywhere in your field and then you would plow it. Sounds weird. The other method was, no, you would plow the field, you would till it up, and then you would broadcast, throw seeds all over the place. And as you imagine a field, you're probably imagining your own field or a field that you've seen and what's around your own property line, a fence. There were no fences in the first century. What marked the distinction between your field as a farmer and the next farmer's field was the path. The path that you walked on over and over and over that got hardened. The soil was hardened. It needed some aeration. It was hard. But what would inevitably happen was those seeds, as they are thrown everywhere, would land on the path. Is the path going to receive those seeds or is it going to bounce off? This text is a beautiful picture, a hard picture, actually, of the seed of God's Word when it lands on somebody's heart that is hard. He sowed seeds, but it landed on hardened heart. Look at verse 4. The Word of God lands on the path of a hardened heart, and what happens to it? You see verse 4, the birds come and snatch it away because it's not going to germinate. It's not going to go below the soil. The soil is not soft. And if you go to the explanation there in verse 18 and 19, it says this, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart on the path. It doesn't even take because the heart is so incredibly hard. You see examples of this all the way through the Scripture, the hardened heart. You see it in the Old Testament, don't you, where um, Ezekiel is promising the new covenant and the Spirit of God coming to where people, their hearts would go from a heart of stone that is hard to a heart of flesh that is soft and is palatable. You come to the New Testament, you see in the book of Acts, the people of God, Israel, rejecting the message of Jesus and Peter and Paul, calling them stiff-necked, hardened hearts. It's interesting because when we think of people's hearts that are hardened in our day, we often think of the the atheist that's way out there that has completely rejected the message, and that's true. There's a hardened heart, but that's not what's in view here. There are people in the crowd in Israel, they are all religious people. Even religious people can harden their hearts. And what's primarily in view in this text, I think, are the Pharisees and scribe. If you just took a glance at the previous passage, really chapter 8 through chapter 12 of Matthew, and you see it in all three synoptic gospels before you get to the parables, you see Jesus doing things and demonstrating his power, miraculous things that he's done. He's casting out demons. He's calming the winds and the waves on the sea. He's healing people. And who's trailing him? Who's coming after him? People who have heard, the Pharisees and scribes have heard, but what are they doing? They're rejecting his message and they're coming after him. They even say after he, in chapter 12, they even say about him when he removes the demon from the demon-possessed man, what do they say? The reason you can do this is because you're from Satan. And Jesus, in Jesus' way, non-sinful way, he lost it. You can go and read it. He called them evil. He said, you have an evil, unbelieving heart, and there's judgment for you. And so the same day, verse 1 in this text, the same day, he's going through all this mess with the scribes and the Pharisees, and on the same day, he goes and chills at the beach and tells parables. See, a hardened heart would describe the Pharisees and the scribes who were religious people who had hardened their hearts. I don't know your story. I grew up in the church. I grew up being having a drug problem. I got drugged to church on Wednesday night. I got drugged to church on Sunday morning. I got drugged to church on Sunday night. I could tell you, I could win Bible ball. I tell you this all the time. I got patches from, from things. I knew the Bible. I knew the Word of God. I was far from God. Kids, listen to this. You need to listen to this. You can have a hardened heart to God and know the word, and be around it, and wear crosses, and put on your Sunday best, you can do that. I did that for a lot of years. And so I want to say to you young people, you may know the lingo, you may convince your parents, you may have prayed the prayer, you may have even been baptized, but maybe the truth is you were more like me than you want to care to, that you've really rejected Christ being Lord. You want to be your own boss. You've hardened your heart. The beauty is this. We're all born, and we all have, apart from Christ, and him transforming our hearts. We all have hardened hearts. Don't think for one second. You've got this softened, palatable, good soul heart because you did something. Christ softens heart. And the way that he does that is through confession and repentance, which softens the heart of even the hardest person. See also Nicodemus. See also the guy who was a Pharisee, a religious man, who turned and came to Christ. And so I would say to you that God can still break up that ground of your heart. And maybe you're here and you're praying for, some, for someone with a hardened heart. You, you've got to be praying that God would do what only he can do in their lives. And if you're a believer, really this, the, the whole parable, the first three souls, just to give you the punch... The first three souls are really about people who are, whether directly or indirectly, don't believe. And the last one is clearly about the one who's been transformed. And yet, the the, the Bible talks about true believers who have hardened their hearts, so it is possible, even though you know Christ, it is possible, the New Testament talks about it, that we can have a hardened heart. Hebrews chapter 3, go there with me, Hebrews chapter 3 says it this way. He's speaking to believers in this place in Hebrews. Hebrews three, twelve and thirteen. Look at these words. Hear these words. Take care, brothers. So he's talking here to real believers, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but do what? But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. So you need one another, you need the community of faith to help you do what? Look at it. That none of you may be what's the word? Hardened By what? The deceitfulness of sin. See, sin can still harden your heart to the things of God. And maybe you're wondering why God feels so far away. Perhaps it's because the hardness of sin that's crept in. Maybe you don't have people exhorting you day to day in your community group on Sunday morning or people in your life that would walk with you and care for you in that way. So the question is, have we hardened our hearts? But a hardened heart's a little easier to test than the next two soils that you see that Jesus describes. The next two soils are a little tougher to see. Look at verse 5 and 6. The rocky soil. What does the rocky soil represent? Look at verse 5 and 6. Your second thought today is this, the rocky soil. A superficial heart has no depth to deal with the trials of life. Whereas a hardened heart rejects outright the truths of God, a superficial heart doesn't have the depth to deal with the trials of life. And the trials of life actually reveal what's really in the heart, according to verse 5 and 6. and verse 20 and 21, look at it there, 5 and 6, other seeds fell on the rocky soil. They didn't have much soil. Immediately they sprang up, so they go down into the soil, and they germinate, and they come up quickly, but there's no depth. And the sun hits it, and they wither away. And you come over to verse 20, which see the corresponding, Jesus' corresponding explanation. What was sown on the rocky ground, that's the one who hears the word, notice that, and immediately receives it with joy. There's emotion in it. There's an emotional response to the gospel and the word of God, yet he has no root. He endures for a while, but here's what reveals tribulation and persecution arise. On account of the word, immediately he falls away. What you need to know about the rocky soil is a little background here as well. What do we know about the topography of Israel? If you've been there, got some people who've been there recently, it's super rocky. It's super rocky in most places. And when you read this, you kind of think, okay, here's a field, and the rocks are there, and they're obviously in the field. And so why don't you just not throw the seed there? But that's not what he's describing. He's describing the limestone rock bed that was often underneath the field about a foot down. Farmers in that day hated fields like this because you couldn't see on top. You couldn't tell that there was a rock bed about a foot underneath the surface. And to make matters worse, most of the things that they used to plow the fields as farmers only went about eight inches down into the ground. And so they may not even know that there's a rock bed because they can't see it and their plow doesn't hit it. And yet, they sow the seeds on the rocky soil and they notice them. That it takes root, or it looks like it takes root, and then it springs up quickly, too fast. But then it's snuffed out in the sun because those roots can't grow deep enough. There's not enough moisture below for it to grow. That's what you're meant to seed with the picture. At my house, um, I got an older driveway. I think our house was built in '98. You don't know, do it like they, they do today. But on the driveway itself, when you walk it, there, there's concrete. And then there's um, across about, I don't know, 20 feet, uh, there's an open spot. And, and what they used to do is put wood between those pieces so the, so the concrete won't crack. And so, um, you know, however many years later, that wood is rotted, right, between the different sections of concrete on my driveway. And so what typically happens through wind in different ways, as dirt gets between those cracks. And what grows in those cracks? Between the rock. Usually a lot of weeds. And you know what happens though? When it hits summer, I'm kind of glad when it hits summer. Because, because those weeds go away or, or my roundup hits it. One of the two. I wear a mask, honey. I wear a mask. But they get snuffed out. They come up quick But they get snuffed out by the sun. You know, when you think about the rocky soil, we we may even think biblically about the crowds that follow Jesus. You remember when there's a number of places where people are just kind of following Jesus because he's like the circus and the show? He's doing miracles and he's amazing people with what he was saying and he was teaching with authority. But it hadn't changed these people's hearts And then Jesus starts talking about harder things and what happens to the crowd. Or even some of the disciples, not the disciples that are named, but there's a lot of other disciples that fall away that you see. That had been following Jesus, but they had been following to a certain point. And they fall away. And they go away. Man, there's a lot of this, I think, in our day today. Not to be overly critical. And yet you've got to understand the, the times that you live in. I think many of us may have even walked through this growing up in a place where it says, just pray a prayer. I'm going to tell you about Jesus, and Jesus is your buddy. Jesus loves you. He died for your sins. All true. He loves you. He's going to give you heaven, forgiveness. It feels like I'm getting ice cream out of this deal. But there's no really connection to the real seed that also says, Jesus calls us to confess our sins and turn and repent and see him as Lord and take up a cross and follow him. That's the full gospel. That's the real seed. That's the real gospel message. And we've, many of us have come out of kind of this easy believism. And that's not workspace. It's just saying that there is a repentance that comes along with our faith. There's a counting of the cost, a turning from one direction to another direction, not just I get, I get, I get. In easy believism, at the end of it, often people feel duped and they walk away from faith when things get hard, when trials and persecution because of the word comes. They walk away because they never really had true faith. And that's a dangerous message. That's a message that the evil one loves because it convinces people that they really know Jesus and they don't. There's also some other things in our world. I'll name a couple of them. The prosperity gospel. People come to God because they want physical blessings from the giver of good gifts. They want that gift more than they want the giver himself. And when life happens as it will, and there are trials and there are tribulations of life that happen, they don't know what to do with it because they think this Christian thing is all about blessing and health and wealth and prosperity, and that's not the gospel message at all. That's not the seed. And yet, how many of us have come out of that prosperity gospel? People punt on that version of of Christianity because, like easy believism, it is superficial. It is not the real seed that we're believing. And you know, we talk a lot, and we're going to talk this week in Apologia. I would encourage you to come back for the second week, and we're going to talk about kind of hyper individualism and deconstruction and what's happening in our world where people take their doubts and they deconstruct, and many in an unhealthy way. It's, It's no surprise, it shouldn't be of surprise, when you go through a global pandemic and upheaval in our world through COVID. And people are deconstructing. And deconstruction, in its best sense, is an evaluation of faith and looking back at faith. And that can be a helpful thing, but most, t- most of the time it's not that at all. It's just punting one thing. And oftentimes it's because I don't see how my life squares with the gospel of Jesus And so I don't think it's consequential, this shallow, superficial, and it's often right and good for us to evaluate our past, for us to evaluate what we believe. But if we're just punting one thing for another, the implication of this text is this sprouted up in an emotional way quickly, the rocky soil, it sprouts up quickly, but it falls away quickly too. And oftentimes in our world, what often happens, and you see it in kind of celebrity culture, I'm not... My aim here this morning is not to come after everybody out there like I've got everything right, okay? But it's to get to the heart of the truth of the gospel. What often happens is they sprout up, and as quick as they sprout up and they're enthusiastic about the faith, they become enthusiastic about tearing the faith down, not just in their own life, but in the lives of others. Rocky soil is really not a soil. Hebrews 6 which is a difficult passage, I think talks about this a little bit, the falling away, the one who's tasted. Hebrews 6, look at it with me, verses um, 4 through 6. Different people do different things. I think this, these verses are talking about the person who hasn't believed but has tasted of the Christian community, has understood some things about the word, the seeker that didn't quite get there, Verse 4 says this, for it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, that root has come up and shared in the Holy Spirit and have tested the goodness of the word of God. They've seen it in the powers of the age. And then they fall away to restore them to repentance since they are crucifying the one again and harm holding them in contempt. I think that's a picture of someone who's come close and they've been a part of it, and they've seen it, but ultimately they've fallen away because there's no depth. So there's that, Hebrews 6. So what you notice here in this text, in this parable, How's the parables doing for you so far? I mean, this is some serious stuff, isn't it? Notice the importance of perseverance and endurance through trial and tribulation as the mark of the true believer in this passage that Jesus is sharing with the crowd and explaining to his disciples. One guy said it this way, the faith that fizzles at the finish was faulty at the first. Sometimes we need to evaluate where our faith is. That's the rocky heart. There's some similarities in the next type of soil to the rocky heart. It's the thorny soil, the soil. That is overcrowded. That's your next thought. The next thought is this. An overcrowded or divided heart is choked out by the temporal cares of life. Look at verse 7 there. It's interesting because a little more background. This is, I think, helpful. Farmers in that day, once they had plowed the field and grown the crops, the rest of the year, oftentimes the thorns and the thistles would come. The weeds would come. And so the next year, that they, that they would plow the field. And if you look at a field that's plowed, it looks perfect. Any field. Right after the farmer plows it. I grew up on a ranch, and so Dad would do this. And it looked perfect on the outside. It looked like it was ripe. We had hay, and so we would plant hay every year and grow it. It looked ripe. Even though a week before and the months before, it was thorny. And where we were, there were stickers everywhere. weeds everywhere, it looks perfect. The farmers in the first century had this problem too. It looked good and the seed would be cast out and broadcast out and planted and it looked good and it would sprout up and germinate as well. But what was under the soil, because you had tilled it up, now those weeds, those seeds had multiplied underneath the soil as well. And they come in underneath the soil and they crowd out the good seed. So it can't get the nourishment that it needs and it also fades away. That's what Jesus is talking about with thorny soil here. And notice the explanation that that Jesus gives to the thorny soil. What reveals that the soil is thorny? You see it there? What is it? It's the cares of life. And we are a people with divided hearts sometimes. We have anxieties and we have things that are important to us, even good things that are important to us. And what else? What does it say? Money. Riches. Riches and the cares of life. That's a warning, isn't it? That those things can choke out the word of God lived out in our lives just told you grew up on a ranch. Some of you already knew that like 50 times. But in 2004, my brother, I'd gotten, we'd gotten married in 2002, and my brother is getting married in 2004. And if you think I'm a little country, he's real country. He's a guy that has cattle out there and tends to all the place. And so he was going to get married. He didn't get married. He's a believer. He's going to get married in the church. He's going to get married at the ranch. So a few months before Uh, this, he'd been doing a lot of work at at the ranch in the backyard where he wanted to get married. He'd done all kinds of things out there. And my mom calls me and she's like, Seth, Josh plowed up the backyard. (laughs) And if you've, if you've ever been to the country, a yard is just like a glorified field anyway. Like you, it's really difficult to, to have a nice, well-maintained yard. Like, we had 20 acres around the house that's, like, fenced off from the cows. But really, it was just, our our yard was kind of part of the ranch. And so, as best we could, we we tried to grow St. Augustine, and some of it took. Tried to grow some Bermuda, and there's, like, this mix. But most of it, as described before, was just stickers, so I had the hardest feet on the planet as a kid because I could just run through sticker patches in the yard. So it's a big joke. Like, we would, we'd go to the ranch, and we come back, and we bring all the stickers. And they're in the car. They're at home uh, in uh, the carpet. And that's just what happens. There's all kinds of weeds that grow. You can't control it unless you have a lot of time on your hands. So my brother plowed up a bunch of stickers and weeds For his wedding day. And you know what? He planted about March, that was wintertime, he planted some ryegrass. This is like almost West Texas, y'all. It's gonna get hot. He planted this ryegrass and spread it out all over the backyard. And guess what? It was beautiful for a beginning of April wedding. It was the greenest our yard had ever been or has ever been, ever. And yet, my mom and I were somewhat kind of chuckling and worried at the same time because like a week later, the sun came. Like a week later, all that stuff that he had brought up under the soil, snuffed out, all the nourishment that his ryegrass got, and we have stickers to this day that are twice as bad because my brother needed a beautiful and That's fine. It was overcrowded, choked out, it looks good, and then it dies off. And verse 20 tells us those things that reveal the thorny, overcrowded hearts, the temporal cares of life. It's money. Can you think of any examples of Scripture of people who sought Christ, and then they walked away because they are on thorny soil? Remember the rich young ruler? Who comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What can I do, Jesus? And Jesus knew his heart. He's like, well, keep the Ten Commandments. And the guy goes, I've already done that. That should have been your first sign something's wrong here. And then he says, knowing the guy's heart, knowing his background, he says, go sell everything you have to the poor and come follow me. And some of the saddest words of Scripture come right after that. And the man walked away. Sorrowful because he was a man of many, what, possessions. He could not get past all the temporal things that he had and the temporal things of his life choked out the good seed that he was pursuing. You can even think of Judas. You don't get to be Jesus' right-hand man to carry money around unless you're trustworthy. What we find out later about Judas, though, is that he had been taking all along. And when he found out the kingdom wasn't going to be this riches and inheritance, today, what did he do? He bailed for 30 shekels, thorny soul, choked out. Let me ask you this morning, where are you at? the cares of life? Where are you at with riches, choking out? Remember what Jesus said? What does it profit a man? woman to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. And believers, I would tell you as well, beware of the cares of the world. Even the good cares of the world, money can choke out. Your pursuit of money and riches and cares of this world, even good cares, can choke out. The word of God received in your life. First three soils. At the end of the day, they all represent unbelief. Look at the last soil. But I want to say this before we get to the last soil. You may look at this passage and this parable and go, why would Jesus, in this case, why would we throw seeds on the hardened soil, the path? Why would we throw seeds in thorny places? Why would we throw seeds knowingly in rocky places? Because that's exactly where we need to throw the seeds of the gospel, because Jesus is the one who transforms hearts. The soil of your heart is not good because you're good. I hope you believe that. He's transformed your heart, He's softened your heart that was hard and thorny and rocky. So, knowing that, we come to the fourth soil, and there's implication for us. And here as well, look at the, the, the last type of soil. It's the good soil. This is, last point, a transformed heart receives God's truth and bears fruit. Good seed. Notice in this text, the seed's always good. God's gospel, his word is always good. It's not a seed problem. Good seed in good soil, what does it produce? Good fruit. And I want you to notice in this last point, it falls on the good soil. And you can imagine this. The seed falling on the good soil takes root, germinates, slowly, healthily comes up. And what does it say it produces? A yield. And a yield is probably probably the financial gain of it. Like if you spit X amount of money on the bag of seed... Uh, it's the financial yield of and the profit that comes out of the harvest. Interestingly, notice the numbers there. A hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. If you just look at it on, at street value, you might say, well, you know, there's thirty just a little bit. In that day, a ten times fold yield in the harvest was considered incredible. So here's what Jesus is saying. The seed of the word of God in good soil transforms the heart and it yields. The word of God yields through the gospel, yields an extraordinary harvest. Way better than the harvest when you're listening to whoever you like to listen to online. It's not the word of God. I don't know. Jordan Peterson, who likes him? He's good sometimes. Whoever, Whoever it is like the the people that help you think through things in life, there may be a little bit of yield. The Word of God is a better yield. It's an extraordinary yield. So the question I got for you this morning is, believers, is it central? Is the Word of God and the gospel of God central to your life, to your mornings, to your evenings? Are you listening? Are you receiving that the harvest might be great? If you're wondering why there's not much fruit, maybe the word is not as central as it ought to be. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you've taken a different scene and you're like, well, I like this. The word of God, the gospel of Christ, is central to the harvest in our lives. Four soils. What kind of soil does the seed of God's word land on your heart this morning? These are hard questions. I don't ask them tritely. I've been asking myself the question all week as well. Even if you know Jesus and the good seed has landed in good soil and there is fruit, you still got to tend to the hardness of your heart. You still got to tend to the rocks that come up and the thorns that come up. You still got to tend to it. Previous church I was at, they put me in charge of. Helping with uh, purchase land and a new building, and we found an existing property. This was like 10, 12 years ago. We found an existing property; it needed a lot of work. So we uh, raised some money, and we renovated the property. And part of the renovation was the outside too. It all needed to be renovated. We ripped out um, trees. We ripped out the, the the front lawn needed care. So we replanted. Grass all over, like four acres of property. We had dirt brought in, new dirt brought in, uh, kind of topsoil dirt brought in, especially in the front lawn. We needed, we had to rip out three or four trees. This is right where people walk into the church. And so a few months later, we noticed the grass was growing great everywhere except where we really wanted it to grow on the front lawn. So when people walk up, it's like there's there's all kinds of weeds in the front yard, and it was barren, and it was hard, and we, we spent a year trying to figure out what the deal with the front lawn was. We, we treated it just like the rest. We fertilized it. We mowed it. We watered it. We did all of those things, and I just hired a new property manager, and this guy had a background in landscaping, he was like a gardener at home. And I'm like, this guy's going to help us figure it out. He's going to fix the problem. And he came in, and he took one look at it, and I described the whole scenario to him. And he says, I think I know the problem. I think you told me that you brought new dirt into a new, this reconstruction. And that dirt, I'm just going to tell you, that kind of dirt that these construction people bring in is just junk. <laughs> It's cheap dirt. And so, sure enough, we go get the dirt tested, the soil tested, and we found out that this stuff was, there ain't nothing going to grow very well in this dirt. And so, you know what they do in that kind of scenario? It took about six months, but what happened was is they began to put topsoil, good topsoil on top of the grass and let it funnel down into it, we'd water it, and it would push it down. And a month later, we'd bring in more really good topsoil, and we'd push it down. And so what began to happen after about six months is that soil began to go further and further down into the ground, and now that grass had good soil, a depth of good soil to grow out of. This guy's name is Chris. And he reminds me, he still reminds me, I haven't been there in four years. He'll send me every once in a while pictures of the front lawn. Send me pictures just to remind me of what great work he's done on. And every once in a while, he'll put the caption, and only he and I really know, and now you know. He'll put the caption Tending the soil, the bottom of the text. C3 we got to tend to the soil of our hearts. If you are here this morning and you don't yet know Christ and maybe you've been in the church or not in the church, maybe you've been burned by the church or the things, people in the church, I don't know your story. But whatever the story is, maybe the soil of your heart has been hardened. Maybe it's fallen on rocky soil. Maybe... It's fallen on thorny soil and you've punted. Jesus can give you new soil. Come to Him, confess to Him your need for Him, and He will give you new heart, new soil. And if you know Jesus this morning, you praise Him for that new soil. You also take those seeds and you sow it broadly not just in what the places you think are good soil, broadly knowing that God can break up the fallow ground of anybody's heart. But you also have got to tend to the garden, don't you? Because sin, the deceitfulness of sin, can harden your heart, even as a believer. You don't lose your salvation if you truly believe, but you can become hardened The rocky soil of trials and tribulation can come in and affect the depth of that soil to where you go, yeah, I come to church, I listen, but I'm not really receiving because God, you did this and I don't like it. Are you there? Or maybe the soil has fallen on some thorns. Some thorns have come in to the garden because the cares of life, even good cares, whether your job or your family, the money you're trying to make to set your kids up for college, to set your kids up for a brighter future. Maybe you've given way, and maybe that's what's driving you, and it's choking out God's working in your life. Tend to the soil of your heart good seed, good soil, good harvest. Let me pray.